When neighbours saw Robert Padella taking people into his house, they knew that he was just looking after them. He had his own business, he worked with drug addicts and homeless people, and helped get them on the straight and narrow. But what actually was happening was something much more horrific. This is the story of Robert Padella. Welcome to Enter the Dark. Hello and welcome to Enter the Dark. I'm Jan. This is Les. Les, how's it going, mate? All good, man. All good. Good, good, good. So then, guys, today it's a Patreon request special. Yes, we have one for our very own Swiss god, Swiss Phil Sigrist. He has chosen today's topic for us. Now, if you want to choose a topic, then all you have to do is be on our $10 or more tier. And um, there is no more than $10. No, this is the top tier, $10. And you can suggest what we've done. Um, the next two will be Patreon um, specials for you. But our Patreon shout-outs for everybody. We have our main queen, Hannah Blue Harrington. Our classy lady, Amanda Champagne. As we've said, our very own Swiss guard, <laughs> Swiss Phil. And our brand new sugar mummy, Astoria Crowley. Welcome to the Sick Fuck family. That's a very esoteric name, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Astoria Crowley. I know, mm. yeah. Don't know if it's a real name. I like to think that she's some sort of fucking mage or something like that. Hope so. I hope so. Let us know a story. Yeah, let us know. Let us know if you're doing some like fucking uh, black magic shit. That's always good. That'd be cool. Anyway, uh, before we get started, a quick shout out here. Me, for me, one of my articles has been featured in the latest issue of Serial Killer magazine. Yes, um, it is basically the script to the Marcel Patois episodes one and two. So if you do want to get the magazine instead of watching two videos, because it's got 150 pages of serial killer information and stories, there's artwork, there is loads of cool stories there, and it's by the guys at SerialKillerCalendar.com. So go out and get it, guys. I will leave the description um, I'll leave the link in the description for you. Um, go out. You don't have to read my thing because you've probably watched the videos already. But there's loads in it. It's got loads of decent artwork in there. Open it up now. We've got Michael Swango, a.k.a. Dr. Death. See? Nice, loads of stuff. Nice picture of uh, Elizabeth Battery yeah. on the uh, front there. The front and John Wayne Gacy on the back. Oh, look at that one. Yeah. So it's really cool, guys. You can go on and buy them. They've got all the back issues. You can even buy them in one big thing. And also Serial Killer Top Trump Cards, which I've got. So me and Les will be playing that at some point. Yeah. Might actually film that. So you wins. That's a good idea. We should do more like that. Like really fucked up board games and shit. Just stop turning it into a nude channel. Up your fucked up nerd channel. You just a fucked up nerd. Anyway, guys, so today, Swiss Phil's choice, it is Robert Bedelli. Now, Les, do you know anything about Robert Bedelli? Fuck all. Many of people have asked me, like, he never knows anything about these people. Why does he do a serial killer channel? To learn. To learn. I do have a folklore channel. That's my bag. I have articles published too. They're just not pertinent, pertinent to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Under the Canopy magazine. It's a lovely, it's a lovely magazine. All right, chill out. About about folklore and the country. Look, I'm just... See, what I bring to this is I bring the country file set. So imagine this is like sitting down with your grandma 
And she's like, oh, what a nasty serial killer. That's pretty much... That sums it up, doesn't it? That sums you up, yeah. You're you're my nan. Yeah. I'm... (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty much more, you know, I'm I'm what's known as cottagecore, aren't I? I'm full on cottagecore, am I? Okay. So then, Robert Bedelli. So, Les knows nothing about him. You might do, but sit back, relax, and I shall tell you more. So, Robert Bedelli Jr. was born on January the 31st, 1949, to a family of devout Catholics in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Bad start when you're born into Catholics, innit? You were born already and they're like, you sinner. Yeah. Dude, ugh. original sin. What a guilt trip that is for Catholics. Damn straight. And then there's the choir boy thing. Oh, yeah. And then the priests raping you. Yeah. That's why the old choir boys have center partings. Anyway, his dad, Robert <laughs> Bedella Sr., worked for the Ford Motor Company in Ohio and his mother was a homemaker. Now, as a kid, he had been a quiet loner who wore thick glasses and suffered from high blood pressure, which obviously made him a favourite target for bullies because, you know, it's like a kid, their big red face, bulging eyes, thick, thick glasses. So he was bullied for his looks and excluded from sports due to his health conditions. So he can't even do PE. Oh, man. I've got a story about... No, that, that story's dark. <laughs> Go on. So I remember the bleep test? Yeah. The bleep test, basically, you probably have it in America, but um, basically... You have to run from one end to the hall to another and you've got a beep and you have to sort of time it to the beep. And then it's gradually and gradually gets quicker and quicker, the beep. So you have to run faster and faster and it tests your fitness. Basically, it's a legal way for PE teachers to torture you and watch girls run up and down in tight shirts and shorts. Well, funny. Yeah. So... What happened on this incident, this is this is from Young Les's uh, sort of school days. So um, I won't name the lad. Some people who listen to this might have known this lad. But yeah, so he was always a trier, but he had very bad, and I mean very bad, underlying health conditions. And yeah, he but he really wanted to beat the bleak test. Let's just say the bleep test beat him. Did he die? Yeah, he actually died. No way. Right in front of us all. Holy shit. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, yeah. That wasn't meant to be a funny story. I don't know why I brought that up. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's childhood in Britain. How old were you? Uh, I was, uh, 15. Fucking hell. We didn't know. It was only after, like, when we, because they always used to have PE on a Friday. And it was always before you had to go for the fucking bus as well. So you'd be like, oh, fuck, I got my bag on. And then run for the bus. So like this had happened and we're all like sort of gathered around like, oh shit, like you don't look, you don't look too clever. And then like, yeah, when we come in the next, you know, on Monday, it's like, yeah, he'd uh, copped it. Fucking hell. Poor lad. He was a lovely lad as well. But anyway, sorry about that. I was a bit fucking dour, wasn't it? He was. Anyway, so yeah, he couldn't do sports. Because, you know, he could drop dead. But his father would always compare him to his younger brother, Daniel, who was popular and excelled in all the sports. Bidella Senior would constantly berate his eldest son for his shortcomings, which led to Robert retreating into his own introverted world. He would keep all of his dreams and desires secret from others so they could not laugh at them. And this also applied to when he hit puberty and he realised that he was homosexual. He worked on his self-confidence but wasn't sure how to act with others which led to people thinking he was rude and condescending. 
bit like us, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A lot of people think we're rude and condescending, but we're, we're not. We're just better than you. Yeah, they are a bit inferior, to they be are. fair. Anyway, his uneventful, if lonely, life took a turn when he was 16. That was the year he saw a film that would change his life forever, The Collector, which was based on the novel of the same name by John Fowles. The same novel that inspired serial killers Leonard Lake and Christopher Wilder. So, it's a popular book for serial killers, if you want to read it. I'll give it a read. Yeah. I'll live alone. You do, don't you? An introverted life. Yeah. Your high blood pressure. It's not that high anymore. (laughs) After I started killing. Um, Edit that. No. But much worse, on Christmas Day, his father died at the age of just 39. Now, it devastated him, and he reverted back into his introverted ways and continued with his favourite hobbies, which were stamp collecting and coin collecting. That's always a clue. And you think, there, don't you? Fucking nerd. He also had several pen pals he would write to in different countries. Was that just so we could get different stamps? I don't know. Because that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's a clever way of going about and it, isn't it? he could be like... Send me some of your local currency. And he gets queens as well. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Smart bugger. Smart bugger. Yeah. Yeah. Meticulous, some would say. (laughs) Anyway, it was during this time that Bedella became interested in art. And the weirder, the better. Which, the weird art is the best, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like Geiger and... Yeah. His interest and his emerging talent earned him a partial scholarship to Kansas City Art Institute. So in 1967, he moved to Kansas City to begin his studies. Now, when he was there, he also began engaging in new extracurricular activity, using and selling drugs. In 1968, he was busted for selling methamphetamine to an undercover agent. Fucking narcs. Everywhere, aren't they? yeah. He pled guilty and received a fine and a five-year suspended sentence, but only a month later he was caught with marijuana and LSD and spent five days in jail. It's a good weekend, that is. Yeah, but then the charges were later dropped for lack of evidence, probably because the police were fucking taking all the pot and the LSD. (laughs) Like, oh, I don't know where it is. But even though the charges were dropped, the Art Institute wanted him out. Now, the drug charges are one thing, but it's 1960s, drugs on campus especially in art college it's commonplace they know that but apparently his art had become increasingly disturbing Ooh! at three different performances he'd killed animals including a dog on stage oh that is disturbing so he's just sort of like like it's like you can imagine going to a theater and seeing like some really shit one-man show of him dressed as like, a rabbit, like... Like on space. Yeah, like, like rabbit, 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 rabbit. 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 <laughs> uh, it's not over. It's over. It's over. <laughs> yeah, that. But his air's like, I love my dog. My dog takes care of me. Had him since he was a puppy. Call him old yellow. And it's like... It's finished. Yeah, and everyone's like... <laughs> So he just fucking killed a dog. And then he's like, thank you. And everyone's also like, what the fuck? So yeah, they kicked him out of art college. And, and I can't blame him, really. You can't. How many really... times did this occur? Three. Three. So it was on the third time they were like... Three strikes you're out. You know, you can kill two animals. Wow. But then, you know, third time, you know. I wonder if the third time was a dog. And they were like, geese and mongoose are one thing, but not a dog. 
1969, he was forced out of the Kansas City Art Institute. But he chose to remain in Kansas City and brought a modest three-story house on Charlotte Street. The eclectic Westport neighbourhood suited his personality and it was welcoming to gays like him. There he worked as a chef and he became senior cook in many of Kansas City's restaurants. He also ran a shop out of the Westport flea market called Bob's Bizarre Bazaar. It was a bizarre, bizarre. You wow. know What did he sell? He sold unusual antiques with a distinctly dark order cult theme. I'd shop there. I'd shop there. Yeah. Most of the stuff he sold was gifted to him or sent from his international pen friends. So he wasn't just getting stamps and coins. He was getting like, you know, send me um, fucking a Russian severed finger, please. Okay. Kind of a hand of glory. Yeah. I bet he had a few of them though, didn't he? Yeah. Hey, hey. Well, I'd just, you fucking homophobe. Not a homophobe. <laughs> Maybe a badge baiter, Jan. Maybe I'm no said, homophobe. Maybe he got a monkey's paw as well. Like in The Simpsons where he got the wishes. Like, yeah. But they're all tainted. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I want a turkey sandwich. I don't want to turn into a turkey. I don't want any turkeys attack me. And he's like, good. Turkey's a little dry. Turkey's a little dry. You monster. <laughs> Always the Simpsons, I've noticed, on this show. We do a lot, don't we? Just because the Simpsons is fucking amazing. Like, the first the first few seasons are some of the greatest television ever. Like, Mr. Plow. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Um, anyway, in this part of town, selling shit like that wasn't that shocking. In fact, he seemed to fit right into the eclectic community, and he volunteered with the community as well. He even became chairman of the Neighbourhood Watch Scheme. If anyone's a chairman of a neighbourhood watch scheme, don't trust them. No. Their, li- their life is literally spying on people. Yeah. That's a big stereo system he's brought home. Yeah. Oh, he's on he's on the sick ears with a bad back, but why is he carrying them shopping bags in? You know what I mean? Fucking basically narcs. I feel that's just come from a place of experience, Jan. No, it hasn't. I'm just... I just don't like narcs in grassies. No. Anyway... He befriended sex workers, drug addicts, and petty criminals, the people of the rest of society had abandoned, and he tried to help them overcome the problems. Many considered him a sort of foster father. He would often let them stay at his house rent-free, with many people thinking he was mentoring them for a better life. But what was really happening is that Burdella was keeping them under his thumb by letting them stay with him and loaning them money. One of the young men he befriended was Jerry Howell. Jerry's father, Paul, ran a booth next to Burdella's. Jerry Howell was a sex worker and Bedella would occasionally help him when he had run-ins with the law. When they first met, Jerry and his friends would harass Bob for being openly gay. However, they would eventually confide in him that they made extra money working as male prostitutes. In July 1984, when Howell was 19, Bedella offered him a ride to a dance in nearby Miriam. Jerry Howell was never seen again. According to Bedella, they decided to go back to his house after he had told Jerry that he had some alcohol and Valium. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight yeah. there. Straight there. It's fucking, you know, I've got, I've got like some vodka and some diazepam. Oh, fucking yeah. That's a good night. When inside, Bedella injected Jerry in the neck with a sedative. When he woke up, he was tied to Bedella's bed and would stay there for the next 28 hours. Not so fun. No. Jerry Howell was drugged, tortured, raped and penetrated with a variety of foreign objects. He eventually suffocated either on his own vomit or due to the drugs and the gag that was in his mouth. So you think that's grim? 
Bedella took the body into his basement and then cut Jerry Howell open at the elbows and the jugular and bled him out into a large cooking pot. What the fuck? The next day, Bedella dismembered him with a chainsaw, wrapped the body parts in paper, put them in black trash bags and left them on the curb for the bin men to take to the landfill. So, yeah. Yeah. So, during this murder, Bedella began logging everything he had done to Jerry Howell. He wrote down every act of sexual and physical torture he inflicted on the 19-year-old boy. He would take photographs as mementos and would sit and look at them while reading the macabre books that he had written. But this would only satisfy him for so long, before he had the need to kill again. In April of the following year, 23-year-old Robert Sheldon, a former boarder of Bedella's, showed up looking for a place to stay for a few days. Bedella welcomed him into his house with open arms. Like Howell, that was the last time he would be seen alive. Just a couple of months later, in June 1985, a young man named Mark Wallace ran into Bedella's garage to escape a sudden thunderstorm. Wallace had done some yard work for Bedella previously and knew he wouldn't mind. Bedella invited the 20-year-old into his house, and he was never seen again either. In late September, another of his old boarders, Jim Ferris, called him looking for a place to stay. Bedella was happy to let him stay, but soon Ferris was drugged and tied up like the other victims. I mean, it's sort of like... You stay with him once, you're fine. You go back again, it's a fucking needle in the neck. You're waking up tied with a fucking... Ball gag. Ball gag. Fucking stuff shoved up you and being tortured. I mean, we'll go into what he did to torture them and it is fucking horrible. I mean, it's harsh because everyone thinking that he's helping these people, like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we can go talk to Bob. You know, he's a good guy. Oh, you'll let me stay there for a few days while I get back on my feet. And oh, I've had a run in with the Lord. Bob, Bob will bail me out. And, you know, with these people, they've got nowhere else to go as well. So, you know, he's preying on the fact that, you know, they had nowhere else. Apart from Jerry Howell, you know, who was, mm-hmm. you know, he had a father and stuff. But most of these people are just like vagrants and, you know, living on the streets. And he's letting them stay there and, you know, taking advantage of them that way. Yeah. For about 27 hours, Bedella tortured Jim Ferris with repeated and prolonged bouts of electrocution. He would use hypodermic needles on Jim, puncturing his neck and genitals repeatedly. The torture was so severe, the cause of death could not be limited to a single factor. In Jim Ferris' diary made by Bedella, the last entry simply read, Stop the project. But unlike Sheldon and Wallace, Ferris and Howell's disappearances were reported to the police. Another of Bordella's former boarders, a drug addict named Todd Stoops, told police both of the men had been last seen with Bedella. When questioned, Bedella claimed he'd known both of them, but he hadn't seen them in a while. He said he dropped Jerry off at the dance and hadn't seen him since. He was indignant at being questioned and refused to answer any more questions without a lawyer. When police put him under surveillance, he threatened to file a harassment suit. Now, you've only got, basically, the word of a, of a druggie. Mm-hmm. saying, oh, I was last seen with them. You've got a guy who's helping these people out and stuff, mm-hmm. and the police are on him, and he's like, look, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to file a fucking harassment suit. They've got no other evidence, so they just dropped the cases, and yeah. they went turned into cold cases. But just to be safe, the police told Stoops he shouldn't go to Bedella's house anymore. Yeah, good advice. It's good advice, but you'd think he'd already know that. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, oh, I'm not fucking going there again. Then in June in 1986, Stoops ran into Bedella at a local park. Bedella invited Stoops over to his house for lunch and possibly sex. 
Can you imagine how that goes? Oh, hi, I haven't seen you for a while. Oh, oh hi, Bob. You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, good, good. So what you were not to? Oh, nothing, you know, just smoking crack, you know. Do you want to come to my house for some lunch? Yeah, yeah. Possibly sex? What? Nothing? Did you say possibly sex? Maybe. You interested? Depends how good the lunch is, Bob. Yeah, he's like, what are you making me? If it's PB&J, fuck off. <laughs> Steak, I'm putting out. But forgetting or ignoring the police's warning, Stoops accepted the offer as he stated he needed $13 to purchase drugs. Oh, the days where $13 could buy you drugs. I know, halcyon days. I know, it's about 10 quid, isn't it? Can't buy drugs. Back, back then. Back then, the $13 is a lot. Then again, no, like that would have been like, what? Probably more than $26 back then because yeah. of the uh, exchange rate and yeah. all. That's dead boring. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Look at you. You are the grandma of the episode, aren't Fucking you? Fucking am. <laughs> Bedella would later stress to investigators he had been extremely physically attractive to Stoops and this victim was held captive for two weeks before he died, with him gradually increasing his captive's terror to make him a cooperative and incapacitated sex slave. Bidella used electric shocks through Stoops' closed eyes in an attempt to blind him. What the fuck? And injected drain cleaner into his voice box to try and silence his screaming. Through the mouth? Into his voice box. So through his neck, into his voice box. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to... Yeah, so hypodermic needle, through his neck, into the voice box, drain cleaner. Shit. Yeah. What a vicious little pig. He was, wasn't he? Vicious little shit, to say the least. During the second week of his capture, Stoops asked Bedella for a soft drink and a sandwich, probably because he didn't get the lunch. He was like, you told me I was having lunch. And this is the strangest sex I've ever had. <laughs> when Bedella refused, Stoops burst into tears. Must have been hungry. You must have been really hungry. On June the 27th, he ruptured Stoops' anal wall with his fist, causing bleeding and discharge. Towards the end of Stoops... <laughs> Why do you find that funny? I don't know. I just... Oh, He's oh. just fisted a guy and ruptured his anal wall. <laughs> Stop saying anal wall. Anal wall. <laughs> You're a fucking child. <laughs> I just... I don't know why, but you know that scene off Borat where he's running around with yeah. the like, fucking fisty dildo? It just... That just fucking popped up. In my mind, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't. That was completely involuntary. I need to have a serious think about myself. You do. Hey, <laughs> normal. Right. Anyway, if I finished, I'm done. I'm right. done. So he ruptures Stoops' anal wall with his fist, causing <laughs> bleeding and discharge. Shut up. <laughs> Towards the end of Stoops' captivity, he tried to feed his captive ice cream and soup. Although now Stoops, he gets the fucking yeah, lunch. Yeah, now he's like, ruptured your anal wall. Well, it's only better, buy you, better buy your dinner. <laughs> Although Stoops wasn't able to keep anything down. By the final day of his captivity, Stoops was so weak, Bedella stated he had been able to breathe in a sitting position. On July the 1st, 1986, Stoops died. A forensic pathologist later testified that the ruptured anal wall caused septic shock, which proved fatal. So, you're laughing at anal wall. That's what killed him. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're a bad man, Les. Yeah. In the spring of 1987, Bedella made a new friend, Larry Wayne Pearson, 
and he had wandered into Bedella's shop and expressed an interest in witchcraft and the occult. This can happen to you. You know when you're saying like, oh, I'm looking at this thing online and I'm going to email the people. Think about this, right? The two became friends and Pearson moved in with Bedella. The young man worked off his rent by doing chores around the house and helping with the shop. However, Pearson couldn't stay out of trouble and was arrested for some petty offence in June. Bedella bailed him out and Pearson was never heard from again. This is what could happen to you when you start making your cut. When every time you like, I'm going to email Damien Eccles because you love him. He's all right. Let, Les, um, for the, you guys, West Memphis 3, Damien Eccles, right? Les loves Damien Eccles. He's got his book, High Magic, and um, he's lending it me and it's really good. And he's just in love with Damien Eccles right It's amazing. Now. Damien Eccles is fantastic. He's such a nice bloke. But this is what's going to happen when Damien Eccles comes to live with him. He you. was acquitted. He got off death row. He wasn't acquitted. They well, he got... A, well, they took an old Alfred plea. Yeah, yeah. So that's not acquitted. Okay, yeah. They're not found innocent. They're you got just... found innocent. Yeah. That's no, 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 no. They didn't get found innocent. Alfred plea is basically saying like, you admit to it, but it's time served. Yeah, because they didn't do it. Yeah, they didn't do it. Yeah. But even the, the, the other guy, his friend Michael... Wanted to say, he was like, no, fuck it. I want to go to court. And Damien was like, I'm on death row. You're not. If if this go, if this fucks up, that's it. You know, I'm dead. So that's why they took the Alfred plea. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do the West, West Memphis Oh, yeah, three. we'll definitely do the West Memphis 3 because it's, fuck, it's fucked in the head. We're going to do an entire eight, 80s satanic panic thing because I love it. Um, anyway, so, Bedelli. He started by suspending him in his hands from the ceiling of the basement. Once again, he injected drain cleaner into his voice box and he broke both of his hands with an iron. He was also electrocuted and raped continuously. Finally, after six weeks of torture, Pearson could take no more. During an assault by Bedelli, he bit him in the groin to try and get away. Bedelli grabbed a piece of wood and bludgeoned him to death. He would keep Larry Pearson's head in the freezer for a few weeks before he buried it in his backyard. Wouldn't you just do that straight away? Damien Eccles isn't going to do that to you. No, he's not. No, no, he's not going to bury your head straight away. He's going to keep it in the freezer. He's not going to take my head off. He is. I'm never going to America. (laughs) Not now. Um, Other than Howell and Ferris, none of the men were reported missing. But among the transients, sex workers and the underground community in general, their absence were noted. So, you know, nobody gives a shit about these people, but they give a shit about each other. So they know if somebody hasn't been seen for a while. But I'm guessing, like, no one's listening to them because they're just like, oh, that's Oh, yeah, it's like, you know, he's helping these people. He's probably not give this guy drugs. So he's saying, oh, he's done this. Mm Mm-hmm. Them. But rumours began swirling around about Bedella. Several sex workers who had gone to Bedella's house told friends he was a mean trick, which included tying them up, injecting them with drugs, and inflicting pain through various cruel methods. And some of these sex workers claimed they had seen some of the missing men's belongings in the house. But probably afraid of being arrested themselves, none of them went to the police. Now, you've got to think, this is 1988, 87 time. So they can't really go to the police and say, I'm a male sex worker for that, because the police are going to arrest them. And, you know, in the 80s, they didn't really like gay people. No. You know, they don't really like many of them now. Um, some people, but, which is ridiculous. 
But in the 80s, you know, this is the height of the AIDS epidemic as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're thinking, oh, they're gay druggies. They're just spreading AIDS and all this shit. Watching Rent. Yeah, and Cats. You know, they're looking, what's his name? Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's the bastard. Dead small, any. He's like Looks a, a bit like a reptile. He does, but he's dead small, but his wife's dead tall and fit because she's obviously with him for his looks. And his, like, talent. Maybe. Yeah. I heard that he had, like, a massive dick. I don't know if, like, I've heard, a, I've heard that as well. He's yeah. Mass- his ex-girlfriend said his dick's huge. Yeah, like a big throbbing, like, fucking... I wonder if it's barbed, like a cat. Well, he was really into cats. Stop thinking about Andrew Lloyd Webber's throbbing member. Throbbing barbed member. <laughs> on April the 2nd, 1988, a meter reader working on Charlotte Street saw something shocking. A naked man leaping out of a second story window. The man, Chris Bryson, ran to a neighbour's house. He was bruised and bloody and had a dog collar around his neck. His eyes were red and swollen and he didn't seem as though he could see very well. Why do you find that funny? There's a naked man jumping out of a window with a dog collar on. He's bruised. His eyes are swollen and red. He's obviously running from something. And you're there like, <laughs> fucking dick. <laughs> Why do you find this funny? I don't know. I've been living all... <laughs> been living alone for too long i'm fucking feral <laughs> i really am the neighbors called the kansas city police department when they arrived bryson told them a tale that he could barely believe he said he'd been hitchhiking near the greyhound bus station when a man in a brown toyota tersel picked him up and offered to take him to a party later he would admit he was engaging in sex work and the man had picked him up for a date in quotation marks Date. So once again, there he's done once he's a sex worker because they're just going to be like, oh, you fucking deserve it. You've, you know, he's paying you for this. Bryson accepted and went with this man to his house on 4,315 Charlotte Street. He said the man, who called himself Bob, told him to go upstairs away from his dogs. Oh, yeah, he's got loads of dogs and they just shit everywhere. Inside the house, outside the house, there's just like dog shit everywhere. That's horrible. Clean it up. Yeah, but he doesn't. It's horrible, that Minging is. in it. Yeah. Fucking scumbag. Bryson said he walked up the stairs in front of Bob, and just as he reached the landing, he was knocked out. He said that when he came to, he was chained up in the basement. Over the next four days, Bob would rape him repeatedly, beat him with a metal pole, electrocute him, and inject him with sedatives. When Bryson screamed, Bob injected drain cleaner into his throat. He also dabbed something caustic like alcohol or ammonia into Bryson's eyes. Bryson said that Bob had shown him Polaroid pictures of men who appeared to be dead. He told Bryson that if he didn't cooperate, he would end up in the trash just like them. Which is kind of a pun because he leaves him in bags to go to the landfill. After the first couple of days, Bryson had gained Bob's trust. So Bob took the man upstairs and tied him to the bed there. The rape and the torture continued, but in between, he was allowed to watch TV and have his hands tied in front of him rather than above him. So, you know, don't know what the major torture is. Everything he's doing to him, or been able to watch the Cosby show. <laughs> Bill Cosby, that going, <laughs> 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 Fell out of the... 
Pudding pops. Just the jello pudding pops with the pudding. You put the jello in the pudding pop and it's a pudding pop. It's a jello pudding pop. Every fucking time. I just can't fucking resist. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Leslie's got a thing. If I do a Bill Cosby impression saying jello pudding pops, Les bursts up laughing. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm right. Are you sure? Yeah. Jello pudding pops. <laughs> Uncle See? got acid reflux. <laughs> He's got acid reflux from it now. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> Phil's paid for this, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Right. Oh. Anyway, on the fourth day, when Bryson thought his captor had left the house, he noticed a book of matches on the floor nearby. He used these to burn through the ropes. That's some James Bond shit. That really fucking is. Yeah. And he didn't have, like, proper working eyes at this point. No, he was just like, matches. Yeah, fucking badass. Not knowing for sure if Bob was home or not, he thought his only escape was through the second-story window. He leapt through the glass, cutting himself and breaking a bone in his foot when he landed. Seeing the man's condition, the police had every reason to believe him. Wow. Well... You know, he's battered, bruised, naked, wearing a dog collar. If they were like, we don't believe you, then that's some... We, and I mean, we've dealt with inept police on this channel before, but... That's, that's that would very, be up there. That is very inept. <laughs> Can you imagine them, though? Like, uh, I don't know. Are you telling the truth? Like, what the fuck? Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. I've got, I've got a saucepan hanging out my arse. <laughs> they'd be like, mm, maybe you put it there. Anyway, so while Bryson was taken to the nearby hospital for treatment, the police waited for Bedella to come home. When he arrived to see police at his house, Bedella seemed surprised. He was arrested but refused to let them search his home, so they had to go and obtain a search warrant. While they knew they were walking into the home of a dangerous man, nothing could prepare them for what they would find. Immediately, they knew that searching this house would be a challenge. It was stacked to floor to ceiling with boxes, magazines clothes and strange random items also dog shit everywhere in the second floor bedroom they found evidence corroborating bryson's report a blood-stained bed with burnt ropes on it next to the bed was a metal pole a tray of hypodermic needles and swabs and eyedroppers on the floor nearby was an electrical transformer with clamps on the end of its wires that's gonna hurt but that was not all they found Luminol tests showed massive amounts of blood, especially in the basement and the bathroom. Just as Bryson had said, there was a cache of more than 350 Polaroids showing young men in various stages of torture and sexual assault, and some of them appeared to be dead. Amongst all the clutter, they also found two human skulls, an envelope full of human teeth, and what looked like human vertebrae. The skulls were analysed by a forensic anthropologist. One was determined to be a high-quality fake which was one of the ones that he sold at his store. Mm-hmm. But the other was very, very real and had belonged to a young man who had died about a year ago. Dental records show that the skull belonged to Robert Sheldon. The vertebrae had been cut with a hacksaw and a knife as though someone had decapitated the victim. Indeed, the police found a hacksaw, a mitre saw and a chainsaw on the property. The chainsaw in particular had blood, tissue and human hair congealed on the it. I should have cleaned that. Yeah, but well, he's not he doesn't even cl- he doesn't even clean up the dog shit. He's not going to clean his chainsaw, is he? No. Now, with evidence that the murders had taken place at Bedella's home, police got a warrant to dig up the property. In the backyard, they found another human skull in a small bone fragment. 
the skull would later be identified as Larry Pearson's. Most damning of all, on top of the dresser, they found a steno book in Bedella's writing. In it, he had made detailed logs of the torture and killing of each of his victims. The Kansas City PD formed a task force to dig into Bedella's past and try to identify the men shown in the photos. Many of them corresponded to men who had gone missing since 1984. However, with only the remains of two of these men, it was hard to charge him with any of the others. So prosecutors went ahead with the two they knew they could prove to a jury. On July 22, 1988, Budella was charged with the murder of Larry Wayne Pearson. The following month, at his indictment for the murder of Robert Sheldon, he shot the court by pleading guilty. His attorney arranged a plea deal where, in exchange for his confession, he would not be sentenced to death. Plea deals like that. Part of me is like, no, fuck it. Let's do it. But then... Then you think of the families and like, you know, they want closure as well with it. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult one that is. Mm-hmm. Like, but, you know, defense attorneys, sometimes they're just dead scummy, aren't they? Yeah. Like the one that um, Casey Anthony's one. He was just fucking well scummy, that guy was. Yeah. Plus he was fucking it. Um, not jealous. Just a little bit. Bedella confessed to the murders of six men, all between the ages of 18 and 21 beginning in 1984, and each one the details of how he lured them in and what exact methods of torture he used differed. DC meant he had used drain cleaner on the eyes or throat, and EKG meant he would used electric torture. But the overall ammo was the same. Once they were in his house, he would either drug them or knock them out, then tie them up. He would, over the course of hours or days, repeatedly rape and torture them as much as they had done to Bryson. Some of them died from his abuse. Some he killed by suffocation with a plastic bag or a garrote. Once his victims were dead, he would hoist them over a spot in the basement or the bathtub, slit their veins and let the blood drain out. Once that was done, he would dismember the body with various instruments, including the sores seized by police, and put the pieces in plastic bags which he would put out with the rest of the garbage. He was sentenced to two life sentences with no possibility for parole. He tried to gain favour with the public by giving an interview to Missouri television station KCPT. Now, you're thinking here, how's he going to gain favour with the public? Mm-hmm. He claimed he'd been demonised by the media and he wasn't a methodical madman that they were saying he was. Right. Now, his proof of this, the notes were written in shorthand and a meticulous killer wouldn't use shorthand to take notes. No. Don't stick up for him, Les. He's like, I'm not meticulous because I wrote DC instead of drain cleaner. And it's like, what the fuck? That's not meticulous at all. So you're saying you agree with him? Don't. I'm just, no. But you've just said you agree with him. I, I, I've not killed anyone. No, but you agree. He's saying he's not, he is not a meticulous madman because... He wrote in shorthand and you went, yeah. Do people write in shorthand all the time? So you're flip-flopping? Yes. Welcome to the world of mine and Leslie's conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have got lost <laughs> slightly on that one. I meant to be like... No, no. Well, they heard it. They anyway, heard. <laughs> he also blamed the police for the duration and extreme nature of his crimes, claiming they should have stopped him sooner. I mean, you did threaten them with a harassment lawsuit yeah. if they didn't leave you alone when they L- were trying to. Literally, yeah. Anyway, needless to say, he didn't win the public over. No. 
From behind bars, he arranged to sell his massive hoards in a series of auctions. So all the shit he had for his shop and all the stuff that he had, like, sort of in his house. The appraiser in charge of it called it a mind-boggling accumulation of about 2,000 rare antiquities, ordinary household goods, and an unaccountable assortment of egregious junk. (laughs) Egregious junk. The bulk of the estate, including the house on Charlotte Street, was purchased by flamboyant former bank robber and millionaire industrialist Del Dunmire, who had it demolished straight away. Good on you, Del. Yeah. Well done. It's very similar to, like, Cromwell Street almost, isn't it? Yeah. In the fall of 1992, Bedella wrote to a minister who had befriended him, complaining that the prison officials weren't giving him his heart medication. Remember, he's got high blood pressure. Yeah. Then on October the 8th, 1992, when he was 43, he suffered a heart attack and died. He'd served less than four years of his sentence. Fucking gutted. The judge who sentenced him said, Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Robert Bedella always claimed that he only murdered six victims, but more than 20 men were in his collection of Polaroids, and their identities still remain unknown. Jesus. So, that was Robert Bedella. It was a gruesome one, that was, wasn't it? Yeah, he was an interesting cat. Yeah, I mean, um, he sort of reminded me kind of Dharma, sort of like experimenting on him with drain cleaner and shit like that. Yeah, very Dharma-esque. But I'm not going to... I do have some sympathy for Dharma. When we do Dharma, I'll get into it. But if they would have got to Dharma earlier, they would, he would have been, it would have been okay. He wouldn't have done anything he'd done. Um, but with this guy, it just seemed like he just loved torturing people. Yeah. And I mean, not in just sort of like a BDSM way where he was like, I want to be a Dom. He was like, I've got to fucking mutilate and electrocute and inject poison and shit into you. I mean, didn't even explain why he wanted to do that. I mean, as well, we've got that dynamic, haven't we, of, like, the killing of animals. Only with other serial killers, it was, like, kind of something they do on the sly. Yeah, when they were kids, not like... When they were kids. Not like, not okay, Bob, we're going to um, grade you now. Um, let's see what we're doing. And he's like, okay, here's a rabbit. Okay. Here's a hammer. It's like, oh. This was watership down. Yeah, just sort of paints with the blood after. <laughs> yeah. I know we're grading on a curve here, but going to give you a solid C+. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the way, the way those ears used as a paintbrush, mwah, loved it. But yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, Interesting one. Interesting. Was, Thanks, yeah. Phil. Yeah, Thanks, cheers Phil. for that, Phil. Um, I had fun um, doing that and also outing Les that he agreed with Robert Bedell. Yeah, I think I got... You know, when you're like sort of... uh, Don't don't try and dig yourself out of this hole now. Just cover yourself up and bury it. I had a mini stroke there, I'm quite sure. So now you're saying that you were masturbating while we were talking about torture. I mean... Anyway, if you do like what we do there and you do wish to tell us what we can do and so we can help Les as a horrible human again, you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash enter the dark. We got in four tiers there. Um, if you're on the top tier, you can tell us what to do and we will do it within reason as long as it's not illegal, immoral or impossible and it's actually a case because we're not going to be like, Oh, you two, um, I want you to paint a room blue. Not shit like that, you know. Tell us what cases you want us to cover. 
and we will cover it for you. Um, also, you can buy our t-shirts and masks and loads of cool stuff on our merch site, the Enter the Dark Sip merch stand. The address will be coming up right now for you. And also, all our patrons should be coming onto the screen now. Thank you for supporting us and helping us get this out quicker and also buy more equipment and things like that. We couldn't do it without you guys. Now, if this is your first time and you do like us, please think about subscribing to us. If you are one of the 91.4% people who watch us and don't hit subscribe, just do it. Just hit subscribe and it helps us out loads. Hit that notification bell and give the video a like if you like it as well. Also, let us know in the comments what you think below. Is Les a terrible human? Do you think he's going to be a serial killer? He quite possibly is. I'm his only contact to the outside world, really. He's a hermit. But yes, thank you for that, Phil. That was cool. Remember, you can always give us a shout at enterthedarkpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Now, a couple of people have been messaging us on Facebook and we have been talking to them and they can testify. We do talk to you. We don't just ignore you. We like to have a chat and have a laugh with you. Yes. So it's all cool. Get in touch with us. So I've been Jan from Film Daddy. He's been Les from Funky Art Stuff. Um, Fucking Granny. Tales from the Hangman. We shall see you soon. Take care. <laughs> Later.